Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the Metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world, all on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. Good morning, good evening, and good afternoon. You are watching The Hash on Coindesk TV. And if you are listening to us, you are listening to the fabulous Coindesk podcast network. I'm Jensen Assey. We got Will Foxley, Wendy O, and David Morris on the show today. David, there is a bit of a manhunt. That's how the, <laughs> the headlines are describing it going Love on right now. Hunt. What's happening? Yeah. So if I'm smiling, it's because it's Christmas. Do Kwan and five other members of the leadership team at Terra have been issued arrest warrants by South Korea. And the reason the Wall Street Journal has referred to it as a manhunt is that they are, at least as far as we know, most recently in Singapore, uh, which means that South Korean authorities are going to have to find them. Do Kwon has said he would surrender if this happened, but that's kind of like Donald Trump saying he's going to accept election results. So who knows? And we do have reporting from Protoss that a red alert has been issued or may be issued to Interpol. So there does seem to be some concern that he's a flight risk. South Korea is also apparently considering pulling his passport. A very quick review for those who might not be up to speed. This obviously has been a long-term story. These charges do not indicate exactly why Do Kwon may be facing criminal charges, but it is under his national securities law. My theory of the case for a long time has been that Terra is effectively a Ponzi scheme, and we can talk about that. We may have an international manhunt on our hands. It's crime time. Can I oh make my, my phone call now? I did not know that was coming, but thanks to the universe. <laughs> Who is the face in jail? What, what is going on? Why, Why is it a taco? Why is it a taco guy in jail? Because we have to talk taco about it, okay? We got to talk about it. We got to talk about it. Oh, excellent. Who wants to taco about it? Excellent. I'll pick this one up next. This... This is good for the ecosystem. It's crazy to see like a year ago where this ecosystem was at, the Terra Luna ecosystem. And now this guy's getting chased down by South Korean authorities. Literally a manhunt as Wall Street Journal, which uses words very cautiously, is expressing mm -hmm. it as 
the fact that he's in Singapore, South Korean authorities are looking for him, and Interpol also has a red flag warning out for him, tells you what they're thinking. And you know what makes sense, right? We have a history of people running away from this. Like I haven't heard anything about Three Arrows Capital guys yep. since June. Who knows where they're at as well? Uh, and these guys can just bounce off. They typically actually have a lot of crypto in cold storage or other places, and they can go find an island and make a pretty comfortable life. Meanwhile, there's really horrible, tragic stories of people in South Korea and all over the world who lost thousands of dollars, millions of dollars, and some even even more terrible reports of self-harm based on what this ecosystem did. Uh, I guess on the flip side, the conversation is if Do Kwon truly believed in what he was doing, which I don't think most people would necessarily agree with at this point based on his past history, but just for devil's advocacy here, maybe get David's take on this. If he really was trying to make some sort of new financial primitive and it fell apart, interested to see how that holds up in court. If he was trying to pioneer, some build something new, a decentralized stable coin, and it just fell flat on its face, is that a good thing that you can hold up in court and say, like, we were trying to build something else? We're an entrepreneur. We're experimenting here and didn't work out. We're not these alleged bad guys you guys, you are making us out to be. But we'll have to wait for the courtrooms and we'll have to see if he is captured first. Jen, I'll throw it over to you. To your point, I think the murkiness of the law in the industry now speaks to that, right? Right now, regulation across the board is so gray that we can interpret it in so many different ways. So I think if they were to go to court and we were to say that Doquan was, you know, trying really hard to do something that was really innovative and different, the law is so opaque that it can easily be argued against. When I read this story, I thought about that coinage interview and I'm I'm so sorry. Every time we talk about Doquan, I think about this interview and I think about his lack of remorse, you know, he was like, well, it didn't work. We're going to try again. I'm okay. I live pretty frugally. So even though I lost my net worth, I'm good. And we forget about the retail investors on the other end of the coin, You know, people who are really trying to make some money for themselves in an economy that is just really super dire. So this is just a really sad story. Um, and I think it's not only South Korea that's going to be going after Do Kwon. There's mention of lots of class action lawsuits popping up all over the place. And we really saw Doquan go from crypto's darling to, you know, crypto's mm. most wanted. And we've seen this before, right? This is not the first time we've seen someone put up on a pedestal and then pushed off. And I don't think it's the last time. And so I think if anyone can take anything away from the story, don't invest what you cannot afford to lose. Most things in the space are an experiment. I saw everyone's hand go up. Wendy, I'm going to pass it up to you since you haven't spoken yet. And then I know, David, you're itching to get some words in. So again, everything is still technically in beta when we're talking about crypto, when we're talking about Bitcoin, when we're talking about NFTs. And again, exactly what you said, Jen, there's not a whole lot of clarity when we're talking about laws and regulations for crypto on a global scale. One of my followers actually said it best this morning because I was tweeting about Gary Gensler. They said the law is clear. The law is transparent. It is invisible. You can't see it. And the reason why is, is because there's, there's like... They give us somewhat of direction, but that's nothing that's set in stone. So we're going to continue to see people create things, do what they want to do, and people are going to get hurt in the process of that. So at this point, I, I'm almost feeling like we really need to take a stand against the SEC and some of these other legal bodies and ask them what they've been doing the last five years. What have they been doing since 2017? What have they been doing since 2018? Why don't we have any type of legal clarity? Like It shouldn't take this long to come up with some legal clarity. 
But the good thing about crypto is, is everything is available and transparent on the blockchain. So if somebody is doing something funny, you pretty much are able to decipher what's happening. So again, my heart goes out to anybody who lost money. My moon bag of Terra Luna is completely gone. It went to zero. And on top of it, it's on Voyager. So that makes it even more fun because I don't oh, have access to the $5. Well, the good news is you can only lose it once. <laughs> Wendy, I'm sorry we all laughed. It's funny though. No, it's, sorry it's funny. That we all the thing is, is I understood the risk of leaving, you know, those coins on Voyager. It was a moon bag. It's something I talked to about my audience. You should never leave cryptocurrency on an exchange unless it is something that you're okay with losing. But it is what it is. is is very sad. And hopefully we start to learn, we start to grow from this. And hopefully some of the people that did lose money were able to make it back in Luna Classic. Let me just get in a couple quick comments here regarding the coinage interview. Uh, I think there's two things very important about that interview. One is Definitely no remorse from Doquan. He seems to have no comprehension of the damage that he caused to individuals. That's going to be important for the case. Second thing there, again, his insistence that he was really trying to do something real. His best legal defense at this point is arguing that he's a stupid person. He has to say, I was wrong. I did not know what I was doing or else he's going to go to jail. And I think that, you know, on some level, he's a stupid person. So there might be some fairness there. Last thing I have to share, I wore a special shirt today, as I have been doing more frequently, because we called it, I'm right, my authority, I am correct, always, always correct. And shout out to the Share Zone for that one. And we are moving on. Jen, what is our next story? We're moving Will, on over, it over to here. Will. He's going to talk about bring our it over favorite here, topic It's of time the week. to get optimistic and hyped up. Forget about Doquan. We're talking about the merge. It is Merge Day. We've been waiting for this for seven years. You guys should all get super excited. In 24 hours, less than 24 hours, probably 12 hours away, Ethereum is going to swap from proof of work to proof of stake in what is probably the second or third most important happening in crypto ever. It's up there probably with Bitcoin launching, maybe a few other things. This is a big deal. So if you don't know about it, it's a good time to sit down, put those earbuds on and pay attention. The merge is a swap, proof of work, proof of stake. It's been in development for years. And it's supposed to happen, I think, this evening at around midnight Eastern time. What's happening on the trading side, though? We know people love to talk about money. So we've got to get right to the money stuff. It's becoming very expensive to bet against this. The cost of shorting Ethereum right now is going through the moon. If you put on a short position, I'll throw this over to Wendy for a little bit of a better explanation. If you short a position, you often have to pay longs. People who are betting it's going to go up. We've seen over the last summer that the price of Ethereum has been increasing, increased about 55% over the last three months. Why? Well, people are really excited about this merge happening. They're buying into it. And I think a lot of people are thinking, hey, buy the news. And then when it happens, we'll sell. We'll just sell everything. So now we're kind of trying to see some like dynamics around this trading event. Wendy, I want to throw it over to you, get your thoughts on the price action here. Obviously, price up is important, but I think it's also good to know it's happening. The merge is happening and we should be excited <laughs> about that. It's happening. So as far as price action goes, it was a little bit alarming that we did see that move downward to approximately 1527. I know everybody was really, really shocked. But of course, when you have the CPI data come out, and the dollar pumps, Bitcoin dumps, and the rest of the market gets hurt too. But really, when you zoom, I wish I would have shared my chart. But anyways, it happens. But really, when you zoom out, and there's a trend line that you can draw from approximately July 13th, 2022, at about $1,030, and bring it all the way up to July 
or excuse me, August 29, 2022, approximately $1,400. We've really held that trend line. We've held support. So hopefully we continue to rock upward. One of the things that I told my audience is to be really careful trading this, really careful utilizing DeFi protocols until the merge is actually over with. This is not something I'm interested in trading right now. There's too much risk for me. And if things break, then I don't want to get absolutely decimated. But again, do what works for you guys. And hopefully we get that beautiful rebound and we see $10,000 Ethereum because of the merge. Woo! Uh, I would <laughs> add two things to that. One is just to, to note that this big David's drawdown was, I'm an optimist on this too, but the big drawdown was macro driven, probably far more than anything having to do with the merge. I mean, the entire market is down significantly because of inflation numbers that came out yesterday. So, you know, this like short term move, it's not like merge panic or anything, I would say, you know, just to, to reassure people on that one. Also, too, I did want to chime in and say that price doesn't always equal utility and we are in a bear market. So obviously, we're not going to see any type of crazy price action. Like we've seen a lot of really bullish news for like XRP, Cardano, a lot of projects that are doing a lot of things on chain, but we're not seeing positive price action. My audience is like, why isn't this happening? It only pump 5%. I'm like, dude, we're in a bear market. You're, you're lucky if you get a 5% price pump and are able to capitalize on that. So if Ethereum is something that you believe in long term, plan accordingly. You know what I love? I love, I love if you it. type Ethereum merge into Google, you get a real time countdown as to when this is happening. There are two little bears there. I don't know what they're all about. And it's exciting. The next oh, time we see each other... You don't even know other, what the bears are about, Jen? Can you tell me what the bears are about? Do we have this chart? Oh my goodness. I don't do know, know what the bears crypto? are about. I was like, this is so, so cute. Little so there's black the two bears. Bear. One goes this way and one goes this way. They're black and white. And it's supposed to be the two parts of Ethereum consensus, which is proof of stake. Yeah. And then the execution, which is where all the dApps and applications live. And they come together and they point, touch each other, and then become a panda. And that is I the love merge. This. So as you can see, I'm a, a fan tonight. of bears and pandas. I think I have one back here. And so Will, thank you. I learned something new today. You're welcome. You're welcome. I'll tweet about this <laughs> one a little bit for anyone who's interested. But oh, those cute. two little there bears right there should become a panda in 12 hours. Look for a panda and then we'll have the merge. I'm so, uh, I'm what? really excited about the merge now. Before I was like, meh. <laughs> it's going to be a panda. Just in case anybody is worried about one thing that Wendy said, the risk here is like downside price risk. If there's some kind of bug or something with the merge. Uh, if you have your Ethereum in, in a wallet or even on an exchange, I'm pretty sure it's not like you're at risk of like losing any of that. Even if there are issues with the merge, the, the chain state is secure. So just to throw that out there as a bit of a reassurance for people. Always roll back. Uh, yeah. And also, uh, Will, or I guess maybe Will or Wendy, one quick question on this. We've seen people talk about the ETHPOW fork as a possible way to hedge against risk of the merge. Is that not panning out. Any updates on that thesis? I want to say I that BitMEX had it listed for like, Will's face. like $40 <laughs> or something failed. like a week or so ago, but I'm not trading there. So I'm just, I don't know. I'm just yeah. taking a step back and watching everything and just reminding my audience really just to kind of sit on their hands right now. I think one of the most important things is to be very, very careful if you're going to be utilizing DeFi protocols or any type of Ethereum dApps until after the merge is complete. There could be mm -hmm. issues, there could be problems. I would just be really, really cautious because we do not know the outcome of the Panda merge. Just really quick Will? before I give it to Jen, ETHPOW has basically not worked out. They don't even know how to use GitHub. 
Coinbase has been actively tweeting at them, asking them to set up their <laughs> GitHub profile correctly. So I oh do not God. think that ETH POW is going to work out. If you Incredible. are bearish on it, you have two other options, Ethereum Classic or just good old Bitcoin. Those are your choices at this point. Coindesk has a new event. It's called Ideas, the Investing in Digital Assets and Enterprises Summit. It facilitates capital flow and market growth by connecting the digital economy with traditional finance. Join us for a 360 investment experience where you can source, invest, and secure the next big deal in digital assets, all in one place. Use code HASH20 for 20% off a general pass. Register today at coinest.com forward slash ideas. Now we are talking about New York's Museum of Modern Art. So they are considering buying NFTs with the proceeds from a $70 million auction. According to the Wall Street Journal, the museum is planning on selling some of the founder of the CBS Broadcasting Network, William S. Paley's art collection, which they've been holding since he passed in 1990. And they have a team of people keeping tabs on the digital art market. I think this makes sense to me. If we talk about modern art, you know, NFTs have to jump into the, to the conversation somewhere there. Wendy, I'm going to kick this off to you. What do you think about MoMA keeping close tabs on what's going on with NFTs? They should be keeping close tab on NFTs. If they weren't, are they really like a museum that people love and go to that captures moments in history? NFTs are a very, very important part of history. And it's going to be a massive movement, in my opinion. We're going to see a lot of things shift over to the intangible world. So I'm 100% for this. I think it's great. I think it's awesome. Like, how cool is that? Like, I'm going to be able to take my daughter on a field trip to go to a museum, I'm not saying the one in New York, but let's say LA County somewhere. And she's going to be able to see different NFTs. And I can say, yeah, maybe you have NFTs at home too. And it's just going to be a really cool thing. And it's going to bring attention to these art pieces, as well as document the history, which I think is absolutely amazing. I mean, when you think about traditional art, a lot of this stuff came from medieval times or, you know, civilizations that aren't even here anymore. But with NFTs, we're actually able to follow this from the beginning almost until the end or whatever that looks like. So I think it's super cool. I'm with it. History is dead. Will, Culture think? is dead. No one cares about oh art my gosh, anymore. Will. That's what I got out of this whole story. <laughs> They're selling off masterpieces in order to get some NFTs on the wall. Like, do you need that much Not money in order. in order to put Not an NFT order. on the wall? They're selling them anyways. I know. I know. <laughs> well, I just don't like it. I don't like it. And how can you sell these art pieces like you are a museum that's supposed to be dedicated to preserving this stuff and you're going to sell it off i don't like it when museums in the first place sell private collections i think that's the place they should be they shouldn't go back into private hands and go into the walls of rich people where nobody will ever see this again only a few people can appreciate it these art pieces should stay within museums if you have an nft play too like go figure out another way to do it mama you should just like go launch your own token or something like that there's ways of doing this I like some of the other stuff. The education <laughs> stuff is great. That's awesome. But come on, don't be selling art like this. David, I'll, let's get let, me, let me stake a middle ground here real quick because I, I, I share some of There's Will's no ambivalence about the sale. First, believe it or not, 70 million is not a huge slice of Moma's collection. These are probably a couple of prominent paintings and like a lot of stuff that you would probably never see actually on display is my guess. The second thing, just to clarify, we do not know that any of this is actually going to wind up going to NFTs. The discussion was that they're going to use it to fund digital programs, which includes things like streaming, 
and education. So let's not say that they're going to go out and buy $70 million worth of NFTs right away. It was, it was basically a maybe and a little bit of a footnote that, of course, we in the crypto media grabbed onto and looked at. And I would also just say that like in the middle ground, like NFTs are going to be significant for art. I mean, for digital art, they are a huge step forward. You know, I have a, a big feature about iterative and generative art in general and why NFTs are important for developing a market for that. So I think that it is a good thing for people to be paying attention to. But I also agree, it's, it's always weird when a museum sells work. I don't know if Jen or Wendy wants to jump in. I saw both of you. Wendy, Wendy go, go quickly and then I'll wrap us up. So, I mean, capitalism, that's what happens. And on top of it, the people that they sell these collections to are going to loan them back out to the museum anyways. We see that happen all the time. But that was just my final thoughts. <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to say, you know, Will, I get it. I think we also need to look at what's bringing feet through the door, what's bringing people to these art exhibitions. And we're seeing more and more that it's digital art. We're seeing these Van Gogh immersive experiences where we're taking traditional art and making them digital. And that's how people are experiencing art now. And so I think, you know, if they're going to make $70 million off of selling a few pieces of their collection, it wouldn't make business sense for them to not look at what people want to see and what they want to learn about. And that is all I got on that. Wendy, you got our last story. Let's talk well, about don't this. Shake your How head. exciting. How exciting. Just disappointing. BNB chain and Google Cloud work together to advance the growth of Web3 and blockchain projects. I like Binance Smart Chain. I like BNB. I've got a bag. I've got a bag. I mean, basically, they're going to be partnering with Google Cloud to support the growth of Web3 and blockchain startups. BNB chain-based projects will get access to Google Cloud's scalable, secure, and open infrastructure. And this includes the ability to analyze on-chain data and encrypt info through the cloud. Approximately 150 projects under BNB Accelerator program will get accelerated access to Google's Cloud's startup program. And basically, the key takeaway is providing the platform for devs and projects to access carbon-neutral cloud infrastructure to scale offerings. I think that this is really cool because we're so concerned about climate change. So isn't this a good thing? Will, I actually want to toss it over to you because I feel like you're our tech person on the panel today. Negative okay, I'm Nancy. Dumping a bunch of cold water on top of this story because a lot of these stories are not real and we need to know if it is real. We'll find out. We have to wait for Google confirmation. There's nothing so far confirming anything about this. There's a long history of chains saying that they partnered with Google on some sort of project. And oftentimes it just means that they're using Google Docs for their project, which is like, congrats, you know how to log on to the internet. It doesn't really mean anything. That being said, BNB is a very unique chain and it's actually worked out very well. Its strategy is to basically be a knockoff copy-paste version of Ethereum that has cheaper access, more access because of its affiliation with Binance, the largest crypto exchange out there, and also has a few tweaks to itself that allows it to work a little bit better. The economics of it are pretty interesting, actually. That being said, whenever I see these Google pairings, I just take a deep breath and walk away for a little bit because I am not a big fan of them. I think they often use them to pump the token or just to get a little press wire out there. Doesn't mean anything quite yet. We'd have to wait for Google to say something. And as a note, Google has been very touchy about crypto projects in the past. It doesn't really work with a lot of people out there, only sparingly. And then oftentimes they don't acknowledge it either. David, I'll throw it over to you for your take. Yeah, definitely agree on these often being used to, to sort of misdirect. But I think there's also an important point to be made here about long-term credibility, which is that if this was anything, anybody other than Binance, 
we would like we would not have published this story. And so the fact that they have actually built up a good bit of credibility over the years that we, you know, trust them not to be completely brazenly manipulative. It's a good reminder for developers and business leaders in the space that like the steps that you take along the way will have consequences for how your development process is covered in the press by on the more serious end, at least. And there are a couple of little filigrees in this story that do seem like there's some substance there. It's going to take some time to unpack exactly what it means. I will also just finally one other little bit of cold water, I guess, which is like, how much do we actually want cloud services to be so fundamental to the way that these chains work? Because ultimately, this does mean that Google has some degree of control. I don't know what their terms of service for something like this would actually be. You know, we always worry about Ethereum nodes running on Amazon Web Services and things like that, because especially once you start looking at like financial censorship, it becomes a risk if Google, for example, decides, okay, we got to pull the plug on this thing. So there's pluses and minuses here. Certainly from an efficiency standpoint, there are some advantages to cloud services, but they have risks as well. When I was reading the story, you know, I was like a Google. Oftentimes in this industry, we talk about the Web2 players as the devil, you know, these walled gardens, they're closing everything off. But I think the reality is, is they have the resources, they have the money to back a lot of the projects and bring them to scale to the size that we want to see them, right? I thought it was really interesting. There was a report that came out earlier this month that said Alphabet, Google's parent company, is the biggest investor in crypto, biggest publicly traded investor in crypto companies. And so I think these Web2 players, you know, they're supporting Web3 startups, A, because they're placing their bets on the future, but B, because they want to learn about what's going on. In that same report that said Alphabet was investing in crypto companies, said they're looking at, you know, how they can use blockchain for Google Maps and YouTube. So I think they're doing this uh, kind of two-pronged, making bets on the future, and also they really want to learn about what's going on so they can implement the technology into what they've built. I don't think they're going to disappear overnight just because we don't like how they're doing business. Wendy? The only thing I wanted to add was, do you guys remember when Google completely stopped crypto ads from being run on their platform? That just is the only thing that concerns me is that it is a centralized entity. They're going to have to submit to whatever Daddy Gary tells them to do, whatever the government tells them to do. So it is a little bit concerning that Mm -hmm. some of these projects will be using Google, but at the same time, we don't necessarily have another alternative. I don't think there's been any decentralized crypto project that has been able to have similar technology that's actually survived. So I would just be a little bit cautious. And if you're planning on investing in some of these projects, make sure to denote that in your trading or investing plan as some sort of bearish fundamental analysis, just in case we get another ban. All right. We're going to leave it there. What a fun show today, guys. We had panda bears. We had a taco man in jail. We spoke about some real news as well. I'm Jen Sinassi. We had Wendy O, David Morris, and Will Foxley with us today. Thank you so much for watching. If you love Coindesk TV, stick around for All About Bitcoin at 3 p.m. Eastern and listen to us on the Coindesk Podcast Network. I know you can't get enough of our voices, so we will see you there. We'll see you tomorrow. And tomorrow when we see you, Ethereum should have merged. So it's going to be a big day. See you guys tomorrow. Have a great rest of the day. Bye. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening.